or if you've tried to maybe lose a little bit of weight, maybe try to get in shape, or maybe just try to kind of eat a little more healthy, uh, you might be familiar with uh, the book called Eat This, Not That. You guys kind of familiar with that? The whole premise of the book, I actually have um, an app for that, by the way. But uh, on it, it, basically what it's supposed to help you do is to eat more healthy, to go to the restaurants that you love to eat at, and to be able to make wise choices so that you can live late, late, late into your whatevers, all right? So that's the whole idea. But I got to tell you, I hate the book. I hate it. And this is why I hate the book, because when they say don't eat this, the very this thing that you're not supposed to be eating is the very thing that I want to eat, all right? And the very thing that, then they say, but eat this, it's a healthy alternative, it's the last thing in the world that I want to eat. You guys, you guys got that? So an example, you guys know I kind of like burgers, right? Um, yes, right? Any, any burger lovers? Yes, burger lovers? And so we go to Five Guys, and so pull up the app, what should I not be eating? Well, it's the very thing I'm about to order, all right? It is the bacon cheeseburger, right? Two perfectly grilled patties with two beautiful pieces of American cheese topped with crispy bacon. Am I making you hungry? All right, with crispy bacon with a big wallop of mayo on the top of it. And basically, it's like screaming, don't eat this. You will die before you leave the restaurant if you eat this. And so it says, don't eat that. I'm like, okay, big guy, what is it that you want me to eat? Go with the single patty, no cheese, no bacon, and change out the mayo for Cajun mustard. I'm not eating that, right? I mean, if I want to eat that way, I'll stay at home. Nothing against my wife, but I don't want to pay for that type of thing, right? Now, the reason I bring this up is because this whole argument of eat this and not that is kind of a very similar approach that James takes to the text this morning. What he does is, in essence, he says, hey, I want you to do this, but not do that. But he's not talking specifically about maybe physical food as much as he's talking about spiritual food. Remember what James is doing in this book. James' great burden is this. Whenever there is a new birth, there will always be a new life in Christ. There will always be a radical change, completely contrary to our religious culture here in Nassau County. You can't be saved and not be changed. You are always born, and with new birth comes new life. And so what he's telling us to do in this book is he's letting us know what that new birth looks like. He's letting us know what it looks like when God regenerates our hearts. This Holy Spirit dwells within us. This is how we live. And remember, he already went through the first section telling us, hey man, when a believer is confronted by trials and difficulties, he said this is how he navigates through it. Now he's letting us know what a true believer looks like when they are confronted by the word of God. Whether it be through the preaching of God's word, the reading of God's word, in a Bible study, through a book series, whatever it is, when we're confronted by the word of God, he says, this is what you ought to do, and this is what you ought not to do. And so that's what he's going to lay out in our text. When we're confronted with the word of God, what should we do, what should we not do? Now, we've got to kind of switch that, because he actually gives the what not to do first. So let's take a look at that. Beginning in verse 22, he says, don't do this. When you hear the word of God, even this morning, don't do this. Notice, if you will, beginning in verse 22. The Bible clearly says, it says, but be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only. Now, remember the context. It's very important. Just right before this, the couple of verses right before this, he gave us another command. He said to be quick to hear, 
to be quick to hear. In other words, he says, I don't want you to be apathetic and lazy listeners. I want you to be eager to want to hear the word of God. And this is a natural response to every believer in Jesus Christ. Every believer in Jesus Christ wants to hear the voice of his master. It's not something we have to work at. It's something that he gives us as a byproduct of our salvation. And so what he does, he says, listen, that's good. You need to be eager listeners, but you need to be far more than that. It can't stop there. You need to be eager listeners, but you also need to be obedient doers. Did you notice the key word in that first phrase there? When it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, the word only is the key. It's a warning word. What he's doing is he says, hey, listen, you who are continually being exposed to the word of God, through the preaching of the word of God, through listening to it on the radio, your iPad, your iPod, whatever it is, your i whatever, okay? And you're listening to these things. He says that you are in a clear and present danger. You are vulnerable. You are in a position where you could be in some really great trouble. What is it? He said you are in danger of deceiving yourselves. James is saying it's very easy for you and I to be around the word of God all the time and listen, it, listen to it and think because we're curious about it, we take pleasure in listening to it, that somehow just by listening we're going to be transformed in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And he says, and if you think that that's the case, he goes, you're just fooling yourself. He says, it takes more than just doing it. It's not as though James is saying, hey, listen, don't listen to the word. He's already made an argument for that in the, just the previous couple of verses. He told us to be eager to hear it. He says, but it has to go beyond your hearing to doing, hearing the word of God and being immersed in the word of God and even studying the word of God and memorizing the word of God is absolutely no substitute for obediently doing what it is that you're ultimately learning. Now, what he does is he gives us kind of a simple illustration. He tells us, he goes, look, for the person who is a hearer of the word, but he doesn't do what it is that he's hearing, he says, this is kind of what he's like. He says, he says he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Some of this stuff is so obvious, I kind of feel bad even explaining it. But let's just, let's just do that, shall we? All right. So here's the illustration. It's like a guy who gets up and he looks inside of a mirror. And when it says looks intently, the verb tense there means he's really gazing at himself. He's really working at this thing, right? Have you seen people like that? Guys, right? Girls get in, they flutter. Like that. Guys, they get in, they flex right? That's what they do. So they're gazing at themselves. Not this guy, but anyway, they, uh, yes, I do. I lied. All right. So um, anyway, I just got nothing to flex. But anyway, so I could keep going there, but we're spiraling down. All right. So he's looking intently and what he does is he's able to kind of make out what's right and what's wrong, what's in place and what's out of place. The older I get, the more out of place things become. You guys feeling me with that? Like you guys with your whole bad hair day thing, shame on you. You have hair. It's a good day. All right. Okay. And so he sees what's off. He sees if there's something wrong with his, something hanging somewhere that shouldn't be there. He, he sees that. Have you ever had something like at the end of the day, you look and you go <laughs> in the mirror and you got this big black gooby thing in your tooth and you're like, I've seen like 150 people today since lunch. Why didn't anybody say anything, right? So he's able to see what's in. He's able to see what's out. He's able to see what's right and what's wrong. He says, but after seeing what's wrong, he, he, he walks away, and he doesn't do anything to correct what it was that was wrong. He just walks away. And then eventually, he just completely forgets all about it. 
Now, that's not hard to explain, right? I mean, we understand the connection. He says it's like you and I looking into the Word. The Word is like the mirror. It really shows you what's there. It shows you what you're like. It shows what's, what's right, and it shows what's wrong. And it's doing so for us to be able to correct it. Not just for us to admire it or to acknowledge it, but to do something and, and set the right course to change what it is that we're ultimately seeing. Now, that's one example. Let me give you just another one. Um, I know many of you, we, this is, this is a, a church that loves to be fruitful and multiply, right? I mean, we, we love children, and they're awesome. And it's weird. I only have five, and I know that some of you, that sounds like a lot, uh, but it's not like my brother and sister-in-law. They have six, okay? So they're really out there, all right? So, so we, you have like five kids, but you walk around, and people look at you like you're crazy, you know? And you're like, they're just five of them, right? So we got these five kids, but what's amazing, how many of you have more than one child? Raise your hand, Okay. Are you amazed how different they are? I mean, it is incredible how different they are. We have in our family right brain kids and left brain kids. You you guys got that. We got kids that are very rule-oriented, right? They understand. They want to hear the rules. They want to know what's expected from them. They kind of have a little check sheet. On the other side, you have our left brain children in our family, one in particular that is just free-loving. I mean, everything is good, man. I mean, I love trees and I love bunnies. And we could have world peace if we could just all put our arms around the bunnies in the trees and everything would be okay. Well, if you have a child like that, it's always a challenge to get them and to instruct them and to teach them. It just is. You have to kind of find a different way. Get a bunny involved in some reason they understand it. But you're sitting there and you're trying to give them instruction. You're sitting there going, you've got to go in your room and here I'm going to give you very distinct, very clear uh, you know, directions. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into that room. Okay, got me? Yes, into the room. Okay, I want you to make your bed. I want you to clean up your toys. Then I want you to sweep the room. Can you do that? What did I tell you to do? And you actually have to do this. You guys have any kids like that? Now repeat it to me. Go to my room. Yes. Make my bed. Oh, yeah. Or clean up the toys. Yes. Sweep the floor. Right on. Now go. Do it. Quickly. Go. Like the wind. Somewhere... In the five yards, from the kitchen to their bedroom, what I call the Bermuda Triangle of brain cells, they're gone. It's lost. They get to the room, right? They get to the room, and you give them two minutes. I know I have to follow up on this one. Some kids go do it. It's going to be done. This one, tree hugger girl. All right. Oh, that's how we know. You got your guess. We got four girls, all right? So they go, and and, and literally two minutes in there, I'll come up to her, and I'll say to her, I'll say, I'll say, Honey, why are you building a castle out of paper? Why are you cutting up? Is it supposed to clean your room, not dirty your room? What are you doing? (gasps) Dad, I forgot. Now, that's at two minutes. And I sit there and I said, well, what was it that you're supposed to be doing? I was supposed to make the bed. Yes. I was supposed to pick up my toys. Yes. I was supposed to sweep the floor. Yes, you got it. But honey, do you not understand that it really does you no good if you, unless you do what it is that I tell you to do. Even if you can tell me the directions back, it's not going to help you. Your room is still a mess. Now, if I were to wait three minutes, give her a really long time, by three minutes I could go and say, what did I tell you to do? She wouldn't have a clue. She would completely forget altogether. And so what James is saying for all of us is this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, man, lady, child, 
If you think that you just coming and even loving to hear the word of God and having your favorite downloads and be able to listen to your favorite preachers and be able to read your favorite authors, even though you could put all that together, if you think it's really good and you are not doing what it is that you are learning, then your life will remain the mess that it is. You're not helping yourself in any way, shape, or form. Now, I don't like to be overly simplistic, but, but, but I know that there's a danger of that by me saying this. At the end of each service, we have this thing called an invitation. Have you ever wondered what that was for? Have you ever wondered, like, you know, you're just kind of sitting there going, what, what's that, what is that thing at the end? What, what is that thing here? I've had people go, so why do, we, why do we do that thing? Well, let me just kind of understand. So you know what we're supposed to be doing that time. The word of God is preached. We call for a response. I'm not looking necessarily for you to walk the aisle. If you feel need to, that's great. If you want to come and pray, that's great. Here's what you're supposed to be doing during that time. And I want to be clear because I think what people think is it's time just to look up at the screens and be able to read words off a screen. That's not what it is. What it is is for you to sit there and through the move of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has said and branded on your heart through the preaching of God's word, it's for you to sit there and say, right now, God, your servant is listening. I will do what it is that you're telling me to do. I'll either quit something or I will begin something, but more than anything else, I will follow you in faith. This is what I'm going to do. And you need to begin unpacking right there what is it that I'm doing and I'm going to begin right now to do with God. That's what we should be doing. Now, when there's a danger, when we come to the house of God and we begin to just hear, but we don't do, we kind of put ourselves in a little bit of danger. And there's two specific dangers here. First of all, we think, but we do not know. You know, it's interesting to follow the word of God and how many times the Bible in the Old Testament and New Testament warns us about being deceived. In the book of Revelation chapter 12, it it, it warns us not being deceived by the devil because the devil's seeking to deceive the whole world. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, it, it, it really warns us about being deceived by other people, specifically by the teaching of false teachers. Don't be deceived by them. But what's interesting here is James says, hey, listen, all that is dangerous, but where the greatest deception for you and I are is self-deception. It's for you and I to think again that because we like speakers and like preaching, that we somehow are going to be transformed. I said this last week, and let me bring it up again to, to make a point. I said that the Bible says, to whom much is given, much shall be required. Do you agree with that? And I said that if that's true, and it is true because it's the word of God, then that means that you and I, there's going to be a whole lot required of you and I. Because we live in an unprecedented age with access to the word of God that the rest of the world has never seen and knows nothing about. We have more access to the word of God now than any other time in any other people in any other place. We're bombarded with the word of God. And if we're hearing it that much, certainly God is going to require great amounts from us for him entrusting us with his precious word. But here's the key. All of this Bible, all of this word, Brother Jimmy, constantly being preached, constantly being taught, constantly being wrapped around us. But here's the thing. I don't really see the church being any more holy than when it was when it had little teaching. You can learn all that and be just as godless as the person that is not exposed to any of the word of God. Why? Because you're not doing anything with what the word of God says we ought to be doing. First thing, we think, but we do not know. Do you understand that the word of God, when it says about knowing the word, you've you've met people like this, wow, he knows a lot about the word of God. Don't be deceived. 
He may have a lot memorized, but whenever the Word of God is talking about truly knowing the Word, it's not just cognitively knowing it and being able to recall it. It's living it out. The thing that attracted me to my wife the most was not because she could parse Greek, because she couldn't. She doesn't even know what the word parse means. Do you, you get that? But what really drew me to her was that what she knew she lived out in everyday life. She knew the word of God. Now notice this. First of all, first things first, is, is we think, but we do not know. That's what happens when we listen, but we're not doing. Second, we look, but we do not see. Notice in verse 24 again, did you notice when he says, for he looks at himself? Second time that he uses the Greek word looks. He's going to use it three, second time. It's the same Greek verb, but here's the difference. It's a, it, it, it's a different verb tense, which basically kind of changes its meaning a little bit. The first verb is in the present tense. When he, said, when he talks about looking intently, it means that it's in the present tense, he's actively looking and peering into the mirror to see what he sees. After that, when it gets to the next look, it's in what's called the aorist tense. Just understand that it just speaks of something happening at one particular moment in time, which means is instead of glaring into it and gleaning into it, you know what he's doing? He just kind of glances at it. He just kind of looks at it. He just, he just looks at it, goes away, forgets. So the question is, when you're, as, as a Bible scholar that you are, you're trying to figure out, so what is he talking about? Is he talking about a guy who looks in the Word a lot and then walks away, forgets, and doesn't do anything about it? Or is he looking at a guy that just kind of glances at it? Well, it's hard to be able to know within the context, but let me just say this, either one is true. He's saying, in essence, listen, whether you spend droves of time and hours in the Word of God, parsing it, understanding it, reading it, pontificating upon it, if you do all of that, he says, but you don't do anything with it, it does you no good. But then there's a whole other group of people. And that whole other group of people are people who are deceiving themselves because they think by just exposing them to a little Bible verse a day or hearing maybe a, a sermon Oh, once a week, and just kind of exposing themselves, just a tot of good Jesus stuff, right? That all of a sudden that we're going to be changed and transformed into the image of Christ by that little bit. And what he says is, he says, you're deceiving yourself. If you think that you're going to be able to come and you're going to be like Christ by you taking five minutes or even 40 minutes out of your week just by listening to some of the things concerning God and you think that that's going to make a difference in your life, it's not going to make a difference in your life because the truth is, here's why. You're looking into the word, but not close enough to see who you truly are. When you take a true glimpse of the word of God and you don't spend time in it, you don't see your true condition. How many people I've counseled with and talked with, I said, brother, your problem is this. And I tell them, and they are shocked to hear it. Are you kidding me? And I take them right to the scriptures. They can't believe that I'm saying what it is that they're saying. And the reason they can't believe it is because they're not in it. Have you ever noticed that once you're in the word of God, you begin to realize that you're not nearly as good a fellow as you thought you were? And it's like verse by verse. You're like, oh, come on. And, you're, and, and the Bible's like, yeah, I'm just exposing who you are. Now do something about it. He goes, whether you're in it all the time or whether you're just briefly looking at it, if you don't do anything, it does no good. I think one of the classic examples of this first point in the word of God is the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Here's, here's a rich young ruler. You remember this guy, right, from our study through Mark? He, he comes up to Jesus, and he comes in all the right way. He comes humbly. He comes, and he asks the right question to Jesus. A good teacher, how may I have eternal life? And he says, he says, listen, you know the law. What does the law say? And he goes, do this, do that, do that thing. He goes, all these things I have done since I was young. 
And did you notice what Jesus said? Jesus didn't say, you liar! He said, you spoke well. You, you have kept all of those commands. He says, but one thing you have failed to do. He says, what is that? He goes, sell all you have and follow me. And the Bible says he walked away saddened. Walked away saddened. How can that great story turn out so sad? Here's why. Because when he came to the word, he did everything right. When he came to the Lord, he did everything right. He came to the right person. He came at the right time. He came at the right place. He answered the right answer to Jesus. He knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and he still walked away sad. Why? Because he didn't do anything with what Jesus called him to do. As a pastor, as your pastor, listen, I'm not saying this to, to hurt you. I'm saying this because it amazes me how so many people will complain about the difficulty that, they, that, that they're in. Just like me, you got yourself in there because you weren't submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You're in the problem, and I sit there and go, but now is the time to obey what it is that you know. Start obeying. Start obeying. Do what God is telling you to do. You're, you're being deceived. You're around Christians all the time, but you're not doing it. You're not living like a believer in Jesus Christ, it will do you no good. Last little short kind of illustration here to close this out. You guys know that several years ago, had a neck injury, right? Had to get the whole neck surgery done. And have, have for years, have really struggled with nerve pain and all that. A lot, lot of stuff that you go through. It's no boohoo or anything, but you know that. I mean, I'm just, I was just praying for something. God, just help me with something with the pain. This is just ridiculous. Been active all my life, sports all my life. What in the world's going on? And so finally, I found a guy uh, who's out in Fernandina's name's Larry Oglesby, all right? And so great guy. He's actually related to one of the ladies. And what he does is basically stretches the mess out of you, right, is what he does. He puts you in a lot of pain, which is great. And so I get in there, and he begins to twist my neck and yank my neck and pull my neck and do all these things. For the first time in my life, I found, like since the surgery and all that, I'm like, wow, I'm finding relief. But then by the next week, and then, now before I leave, he's like, I want you to do these exercises. I want you to do these stretches. I want you to work on this. I want you to eat this is what I want you to do. Each week, about three months later, I'm still coming back. And I go, bro, I just look forward every Monday to come back to you. And then all of a sudden, while I was on a mission trip a couple months back, I sat there and go, you know what? I am just like so many folks I preach to. Here's this guy who's got this education, who's spent all this time training. He's sharing what he knows to be true to me. And then he's telling me, this is what you need to be doing to work this out for you to become more healthy. And I'm not doing it. And I told him, I repented in the doctor's office. I go to him and I'm laying down and I'm like, look, normally we kneel to do this. I said, but I'm laying down. I'm just letting you know, Larry, I'm a sinner. I said, I haven't been doing what you told me to do. And he's laughing. I go, no, seriously, I need to apologize. You told me to do all this stuff. I haven't done any of it. I just keep coming back, and, and it just began, and, and, and guess what? I begin to do the exercise, begin to work, and for the first time, I'm feeling healthier than I have in over a decade because of that. Same exact thing is for you. It doesn't matter what degree I have or how much time I study in the Word of God. If I'm giving to you and you don't do it, you're still going to be in a mess. Let me show you the second thing. That's what not to do. Now, he says, don't do this. This is what he says, do this. Here it is. Do this, verse 25. I'm going to read the whole thing here for you, then we're going to break it apart. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, I want you to look at that conjunction, but, right there. Because what it does is it lets us know that there's a huge transition between the two things. 
He's separating and he's saying, look, up in the beginning, this is what I want you to see. Up in the beginning, he says, this is what you shouldn't do. And if you do this, the result is deception, self-deception. It will do you no good. The second half is this. Here's a transition. The second half, this is what I want you to do. And if you do what I tell you to do, it's going to end in blessing, not deception. So we got to break this apart because he actually has three things here that he wants us to do when we encounter the word of God. First of all, he wants us to go deep. He speaks of depth. Notice here, he says in verse 25, it says, it uses the word looks again. Third time he uses the word. This time it's a completely different Greek word. This one literally means to stoop sideways. Have you ever done that? Just kind of, I've done that to children before in our family, right? You just, you just don't know what's going on. In the, you just kind of, you ever do that? Just kind of sit, bend down there, just kind of, what's going on in there? What, what in the world? Well, this exact word is used actually in the Gospel of John. John uses it to describe what happens when Peter and Mary get to the tomb, to the empty tomb after Jesus' resurrection. The Bible in, in, in John chapter 12, 20, verse 5 says, when Peter got there, he bent over and he looked inside. Then five verses later in verse uh, 10, it's when Mary looked in, it says she bent over to look into the tomb. I think the, the, the meaning is obvious. They both had a fixed gaze. They were transfixed on the darkness. They were looking into it to try to find answers for all that was going on. This is what the Bible would say to us today. This kind of one little verse a day, this kind of just give me some kind of little cheesy statement, God helps those that help themselves, which isn't biblical to begin with, that may seem to give you some kind of lack of comfort, but it's not going to change you. He says, to get into the riches of the things of God, if you want to see God for who he is, it takes discipline and it takes hard work. The psalmist David said this in Psalm 19. He said that the scriptures are more precious than gold, even much fine gold. You know what's interesting about gold? You usually just don't like trip on it. Yeah, have you ever noticed that? At least I haven't. Uh, I don't know what kind of rings you have or whatever, but uh, you don't normally just, you don't just like, hey, kids, are you guys mind? Bills are coming. You mind going some, getting some gold? I saw some on the side of the road. Would you go pick some? No, it's, it's not there. It's, it's, it's even like diamonds are the same things. Why? Because you have to dig for them. They're rare. You have to search for them. You have to go through a lot of difficulty to be able to find them. That's why when a guy gets engaged, you know, he doesn't give an almond as a ring to, to, to you know, the thing. Why? Because, you know, or, or like, a, I don't know what it is, something hanging on a tree. Hey, that's beautiful. Where is that? Oh, I got it out back. Oh, it's lovely. <laughs> so the idea is those things, that are, that those things that are precious in this world are things you have to dig at. Did you know in, in, in South Africa, that there are mines that go two and a half miles deep into the earth where they're trying to reach gold. And they have to bring up four tons of iron ore to the surface to get one ounce of gold. That's tough. That's hard work. That's consistency. That's being committed to something. And he says, you know what? The word of God is the same way. Listen, God does not give the deep things of the spirit to those who casually listen or casually study God's word. They're reserved for the student of God's word who will not only listen, but to do. Here's, the, here's his second thing. Second is discernment. Now notice this. He says, but the one who looks, there's the first point, go deep. Second one is discernment. Into, what are we looking into? We have to know what we're looking into when we look into the Bible. He says to look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. Two, two, two words that he uses to describe perfect and liberty. Perfect law, perfect liberty. Let me break this up just for a second. The perfect law, what does he mean by that? Well, he could mean a lot of different things. But let me tell you at least one thing that I think is biblically accurate. What he's saying is that at least in, 
in uh, 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 hypothetically speaking, if you were to keep the word of God, if you were to keep every command within the word of God, it's so perfect that it would make you perfect. In other words, you'd be so perfect if you could obey all the laws and the commands in the word of God that you would literally make yourself righteous before God. That's how perfect it is, and that's how perfect you could be. But huge problem, newsflash, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us have been fully and completely obedient. We have a problem, and that's why the good news is the good news. You guys with me? Because we are sinners, the righteous wrath of God pours out on us as being stored up for the day of judgment. Along comes Jesus, and he does what we cannot do. What does he do? He dies and allows the wrath of God as a substitute to take our sin. So when we think of salvation and we think of the gospel, the first thing we think of is Jesus taking away our what? Sin. Yes, isn't that right? And that's a great thing. Say amen. Great thing, taking away my sin. And if that's all he ever did, we could just rejoice and we could just talk about it all day. Man, took away my sin. But we don't often talk about what he gave us. He took away our sin and he took away the wrath, but he gave us and he imputed into us his righteousness and his perfection. It is because of that that the Father now sees us as, they see, as he sees his son Jesus and he's able to accept us and commune with us. Are we perfect? Practically, no. But spiritually, in the eyes of God, because of what Jesus has done, he sees his righteousness as our righteousness. Do you got that? So there's a beautiful thing. That's what he means by the perfect law. But what does he mean then when he moves on to the next word, when he talks about the law of liberty? Well, let's be honest, at least before we came to faith in Jesus Christ and until we begin to, to, to mature in our faith in Jesus, we often look at the word of God as the cosmic killjoy book, right? I mean, I know as kids, before you got saved, your, your parents are sitting there going, don't do this, don't do this, you need to do that. And you're sitting there going, oh man, can I do anything fun? But then when you get saved, all of a sudden you see the word completely different. Here's why. Because what Jesus Christ did on the cross was also to break your bondage to sin and death. At one point, you could not help but to fall into sin. When Jesus comes, he liberates you. He gives you freedom from death and from sin, and now you can live the life unto God that God has called you to. Are you gonna stumble a million times? Yes, but can you do it through the power of the Spirit? Absolutely yes. And so guess what? It's not only that he's able to give us, but now through his word, he lets us know what a life unto God looks like and how it is that we ought to live our life. That's a huge thing. I hear people all the time will say stuff like this. Well, you know, this is just a God book unto life, brother. That's what it is, God book unto life. No, it's not a God book unto life. That's what the problem is. This is what people want to do. They want to come with their itching ears into the house of God and they want the preacher to find something in there that's going to help me through this miserable life. I got these problems. Help me. Find something. Pull it out. It's probably not deep. It's probably just on the surface. But help me to live my life better. It's not what the point of the book is. The point of the book is not to give you a better life. Or to show you a guidebook unto life. It is a guidebook for life unto God. It teaches you how you can have a right relationship with God. It teaches you how to live in fear of God, in love of God. And it shows you how to ultimately do that. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. 
He says, look, when you approach the word of God, you hear the word of God, go deep, have some depth, have this discernment, know why you're going there. Know that Jesus has given you the ability to do what it is that he's called you to do. View it in the right way. Here's the third thing, discipline. Discipline. He continues, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Again, uh, again, the whole idea is that he's peering in there, and he sees stuff, and immediately he begins to do what? He begins to change what is wrong in here. But here's what's, here's what's great. He continues to change. You know, I'm not against revivals. I mean, I'm, we, 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 got a, we got a fall revival kind of type, you know, we call it winter Bible study that we've got kind of coming up, and, and, it, and it's all good. But here's what I don't want us to think. I don't want us to think that following Jesus Christ is about just these high points in our life. Hey, you know what? Here's a revival. I'll get right with him. Here's a camp. I'll get right with him. Here's a men's retreat. I'll get right with him. No, we get right with him and we continue steadfastly following and obeying what God is calling us to do week in, week out. You don't sit there and go, hey, I'm going to be obedient today, but I'm going to take a four-week vacation. I'm doing really well this week, but the next four weeks, I'm just going to take a little bit of hiatus. He says, man, let me tell you something. My word in you will do you no good, and that's the way that you approach the word of God. So what does he say? He says, the right way is with depth, is with discernment, and is with discipline. All right, here we go. Let's, let's wrap it all up right here. Here it is. When I first started writing this sermon, and this is a lot of things in James, I'll start writing the sermon and usually it's four pages long, single space. So I'm kind of like writing like an eight, 10 page paper a week kind of thing. You wonder what I do? That's it. All right. And so that's part of it. And so when we get in there, I got done with this one. It was one page. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say about this passage. And the reason is, think how simple this is. This is merely what he's saying. I said all that, but it still goes back to the same thing. But be doers of the word and not hearers. Not hearers only. Deceiving your own self. And so we get back to that, but here's the thing. Say, just for example, and I have to believe this because I believe the word, that through the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit has been present in this place, and in your heart, you're sitting there going, I need to do something. And this is what's beautiful about preaching is I really didn't give much application, but in each one of your lives, the Holy Spirit is working out that application for you. And in your heart, you're sitting back and going, man, I know that there's an area of disobedience in my heart. This is it. For every single one of you, it's probably a different thing. And say, just for example, all of us know what that is. So you're actually working it out. And you sit there and go, I know it has to change. I know I must be disobedient. Then comes the hard part, the obedience. And so what I do, and I want to make sure you understand this. I don't want you to think that I'm just heaping something on you for you to do better or be a better dad or lead them in devotions or for you to be more pure in your thought process. All that is good, but you're already thinking those things. I'm telling you right now, it sounds like he's commanding us to do something, which he is, but the command really is about the full and complete dependence upon Jesus Christ. It's about you sitting there and saying, in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in light of the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, I now must live the life of obedience he's called me to. And through the regenerated nature that he's given me, I want to. Through the new heart, I want to. And through his indwelling spirit, Holy Spirit that's in me, I will. But God, apart from you, I can do nothing. So the plea for you today is call out to God. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done what's wrong. I know I'm now going to do what is right. But my dependent is fully on you, God. Help me, Jesus. 
You know, for some of you, you've heard the gospel a million times. That Jesus was a substitute for your sin. That, that you are enmity with God, an enemy of God because you've rebelled against him. And God in his great love sent his only son to die. There was death, burial, and resurrection. Rose on the third day and through doing that gave you an ability for you to have a right relationship with him. If you repent and believe, you'll be saved. Here's the key. Some of you have heard it. You've never done it. You've never placed your faith completely in Jesus Christ. It will do you no good unless you do what it says. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand to your feet. To close your eyes, bow your head. Our musicians are coming at this time. Whatever it is, whatever it is that Jesus is saying, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, do it with complete reliance on the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where we're going to practice. At the beginning, I said it's not the time to just look up at words and read them.